Hi guys, this is Jake Parker. Welcome back to another episode of the Beyond Fit podcast, where it's my job to help you apply knowledge that is both scientific and practical into your own life to maximize your physique development and your overall body, as well as your mind. The combination of these two things is what makes you Beyond Fit. Hi guys, this is Jake Parker back on the Beyond Fit podcast. Today's show, your Wednesday show, is another solo episode, so just me here. Um, I will be having a couple guests on soon that you've heard before. Alan Thrall and Nick Krantz are two guests that I have coming up here soon. Alan and I actually started recording last week and unfortunately experienced some technical difficulties, so... He will be on soon to finish that episode, and I'll be excited to share both of those with you. But you got just me here again today, and the topic that I'm going to go over, the title of this podcast, is how to recover to get stronger and leaner in four steps. So if you have followed the podcast for quite a while, you might be aware that I've talked a lot more about recovery recently. And a lot of times, pretty much all the time, the podcast kind of reflects my own thoughts and intuitions and curiosities and questions that I have. And recently, I would say over the last year or so, that has centered a lot more around recovery and the importance of recovery, how beneficial that can be for our bodies. I know that for me, it took quite a while to figure out the right way to exercise and the right way to eat. And that was simple things that hopefully you're aware of by now because you've heard me talking about them on the podcast, but things like progressive overload in the gym, compound weightlifting, working multiple muscle groups at once, um, stuff like that, rather than doing hundreds and hundreds of bicep curls and ab crunches to try to get big arms and abs, focusing on compound lifts like squats and deadlifts that are going to make my whole body grow. Um, That was a big change for me and a big thing that I had to learn as far as lifting as far as training is concerned. And then with diet stuff, like keeping track of a high protein diet, not just kind of trying to shoot blindly at high protein, not having an idea of what high protein means, how much protein I should be getting, what sources of food have a lot of protein, what a lot of protein even means. And then managing calories too. Of course, energy balance is the most important thing when it comes to weight gain or weight loss, as we've discussed here before. And I want to, I guess, just take a minute before we get into it to just talk about how important these little, um, not little, but these, these things are that I say progressively overloading in the gym, being aware of your caloric intake, because this stuff was so instrumental in changing the way that I look at my body and the way that I look at my performance, knowing that you have a grasp on these things and you know, the levers to pull and push to get the results that you want is so freeing. And that's me speaking from personal experience. So I really encourage you to reach out to me or anyone you respect or anyone who you think has a good grasp on this stuff and really make sure you understand what all this means so you can implement it into your own life. And don't think that even just because you're in decent shape or you've been working out for a while, or because you, you feel like you know what to do as far as diet, that you can't benefit from having a coach like myself. I am always offering coaching. I'm still working with a number of clients towards certain goals. And so I'm becoming more and more capable in that capacity. So I don't always mention it on here, but I'm always looking for new coaching clients that I can help take to the next level. So if that's you, 
make sure that you contact me and we can talk about how we can reach your goals and help you get to a place where you have this broader understanding and this more intuitive understanding of these things. And you can eventually just figure things out for yourself and, and get to kind of be your own coach because you have such a firm grasp on all these principles, but it takes someone kind of explaining them to you unless you want to kind of like I did really dive deeply in depth with certain experts and books and stuff like that and different internet you know, wormholes of sorts that finally helped me to grasp these things and learn them myself. And then of course, applying them to my own life. Um, but that is all to say that after you look at these things and not even after, but I guess in addition to uh, when it comes to training and nutrition, you have to pay a lot of attention to recovery. And of course, a lot of this um, recovery advice is going to have to do with training and nutrition. So again, that's why you can't necessarily separate it, but that's been my fascination as I have a firm grip on my training and diet principles. I want to recover better because I know it makes me feel better. It makes me perform better. It just makes me feel mentally and emotionally more refreshed, which I always talk about being really important to me. Uh, in addition to the physical effect of feeling good, feeling strong, feeling mobile, you know, feeling and looking good is important. That's what we're all after. Right. And so if you can reach those things easier by just making a few changes and being aware of how to recover and treat your body better, that is going to go a long way. So the first step in these four steps is you have to sleep well. And what does sleeping well mean? Well, in broad terms, you have to try to focus on getting as close to eight hours of sleep a night as you can. Some people are going to do better with more. Probably most people are going to do more with eight, uh, are going to do better with eight hours of sleep, excuse me, but that's not always very convenient for our lifestyles, for the busy nature of, you know, just our day-to-day -day lives. And so I always tell people to try to shoot for eight. Um, you, well, I guess the guidelines from the National Sleep Foundation are between seven and nine hours, but that has a lot of, a lot of individual variants, just like your muscle gain genetics or your fat loss genetics have individual variants. It's easier for some people than others. Some people can thrive off closer to seven hours. Some people really do need to focus on how to get over eight hours and closer to nine. And it kind of change, it kind of comes down to changing the way you look at sleep. I know that that's the biggest thing that changed for me when I started prioritizing my sleep more. I used to look at it as something that meant you were lazy. If you were getting lots of sleep, if you were getting eight hours, eight, over eight hours of sleep a night, you were lazy and you were not maximizing your productivity in life. But really now I look at it as the opposite. If you are not sleeping enough, you're not maximizing your day-to-day -day productivity in how effective you're going to be in your workouts, of course, but also in your career with your family and your relationships, your emotions are going to be better regulated. You're going to be feeling better. So you're going to be more capable to, you know, like I said, get stronger, attain more goals in the gym and outside of the gym too. You're going to think more clearly. You're going to be more rational. You're going to be able to put thoughts together more easily. Um, one of the interesting things about sleep is that that is when your body goes into kind of piecing together mode in terms of all the things you learn throughout a day. And this is evidenced in, you know, when we dream about things from our day is your brain is putting that information into storage and connecting with other pieces of information that you learned in the past. So sleep is one of the most important, if not the most important part of the learning process. And as all you guys are lifelong learners, that's obviously very important to all of us. But as far as sleep hygiene, to get that eight hours of sleep and to maximize that, that eight hours of sleep, you want to cut off caffeine eight hours before bed or more. So for me, that's going to be about two o'clock every afternoon. I try to cut off caffeine. Of course, you know, there's going to be days where I have that cup of coffee at, at three or four because I'm really dragging and I have something to do. But more often than not, um, I'm trying to cut caffeine off even before noon, usually if I can. 
And because there's evidence that caffeine can be metabolized for up to 12 hours after you intake it, especially, you know, the more that you intake, the more that it's going to take to flush out of your system. So even between 10 and 11 o'clock, definitely before noon is usually my goal. That's going to vary a lot depending on what's going on in my life. You want regularity with your sleep patterns. That's going to help to get better sleep. So try to go to bed and wake up at around the same time every day. I know that lots of us like to try to catch up on sleep on the weekends and that's okay. That's psychologically beneficial, but physiologically within your body, that's not really helping very much. Um, you really need to get that regular eight hours of sleep a night and focus on trying to go to bed and wake up at the same time so that you're set as far as your circadian rhythm. Um, that's going to be really important. So try within an hour or two every day to wake up and go to bed at about the same time. Now, again, I'm human. I have those weekend nights that I go out with friends and drink and I'm up till two or three, but usually I'm going to try to go to bed between 10 and midnight, just about every single night. If I can, in a perfect week, I'm going to bed at about 1030 and waking up at about 630 every day. And I kind of vary my wake up time based on what time I go to bed. So if I go to bed about 11, I'll wake up at about seven for eight hours of sleep, 10 o'clock, I'll wake up at about six and so on and so forth. You want your room to be as dark as possible. So use blackout shades if necessary, if you need something like that to keep light from getting your room because that can really disrupt your sleep. Treat your bed as a sacred place where you only are using it for sleep and sex. If you have a relationship with your bed where you are doing things like watching TV, being on your phone in your bed, your brain's gonna start to associate your bed as someplace that's for something other than sleep. So it's important to really help your brain associate getting into bed with sleep and that way you can fall asleep and stay asleep better. You want to, and this is pretty obvious for most people listening to this podcast, I'm sure, but you wanna exercise regularly to make it easier to fall asleep. Um, and a bonus that I've noticed is you definitely want like an open window or some sort of an airflow into the room. And even if that's just a fan, if you don't have a window, that can be really helpful too. Um, and one I did forget to mention was you want to keep the room as cold as possible. 65 degrees is ideal. It's easier to get us to sleep when your body is colder. So try to keep that in mind as well. Um, as far as caffeine goes, a lot of people don't realize that alcohol also has an inhibitory effect on sleep. So you want to try to limit alcohol consumption in the last three to four hours before bed too. Ideally, if you want to have a few drinks every week, you might go out and do that some afternoon and then kind of sober up before bed. But again, in a perfect world, that's what we would do, uh, in the world that we live in. A lot of us are going to go out and party sometimes drink late. Okay. Just don't let it be something that happens multiple times every week. Of course. Let's see the next thing here. Oh, and I guess before I go on a few more notes on sleep again, it really, the biggest thing here is just, it requires a mindset shift. So if you're someone who watches Netflix every night before bed, uh, if you're someone who stays up late talking to friends on the phone or whatever, or on social media, you have to cut those things hard and fast out. I take my TV out of my bedroom. I put my phone in another room when I go to bed. You have to be very intentional. And over time, these habits are going to become easier because they become a part of your lifestyle. But for a while, there's going to be a lot of resistance to change. So you have to realize I'm doing something that's very important for all aspects of my body, my health, my mental um, clarity, my emotional regulation, and value that stuff over the few minutes or a few hours of extra Netflix or, you know, phone time you're getting throughout the week. And don't get me wrong. It's very hard, but it's one of the biggest changes that I've seen in my own life. Personally, you have to have to have to value sleep. And even sometimes I value sleep more than like the extra 
workout that I'm going to get during the week. If I really can get like an extra hour or two of sleep instead of getting an additional workout in the week, sometimes I'm going to value that more depending on just how tired I am, how under recovered I feel. It's kind of, again, one of those intuitive things, but those people who, you know, get up at 5am every morning and work out, you know, six days a week, but are only sleeping four or five hours, they're really doing damage to their body and would probably see more results from figuring out how they can prioritize a few extra hours of sleep per week, even at the detriment of, you know, one of their workouts. And this is counterintuitive and it's hard. Again, it takes discipline, especially if you're someone who's determined to tell yourself, no, I'm not going to go get that extra workout because sleep is important to me, especially if you've had that mindset like I've had in the past that sleep is for the lazy. Um, but something that I find really interesting is there is a really famous study in which people that slept less gained 30% less muscle and lost 50% less fat than people who were able to sleep eight hours a night. I think that the former group slept about five to six hours and then the other group was allowed eight hours. So it makes such a big difference for your body to be able to gain muscle, lose fat. And that, as we know, is what body composition comes down to. Next thing here, you want to focus for recovery and having a high protein diet. We all know what that means, but just to mention it here again, you want to think about the, in terms of calories, are you getting enough protein for your calorie intake. And what I mean here is say, when you go out to eat, I know that in the past I would have been satisfied with getting like a burger or wings or something like that, because to me, that was high protein. And there is quite a bit of protein in that food, but you're sacrificing so much other empty calories in the form of fat. They're going to make you gain more fat than you want to. If you're in this really big calorie surplus because you're eating these foods so frequently. So be aware of trying to have lean sources of protein. And usually I try to look at sources of protein that are going to have 50% of their calories or more coming from protein. So if you're looking at something with 150 calories, you're talking 20 grams of protein or more for it to be worth it, for it to kind of fit that uh, caloric budget that I set for myself. And that's again, not hard and fast, but I just think in the past, how silly I was about chasing protein and, oh, this is beef. So it has protein, you know, this is chicken. So it has protein, but if it's fried sauteed, um, if it's really fatty meat, I've talked about this before, this is where some of those kind of hidden calories come in. You have to kind of balance, okay, how much do I want to be, you know, just overeating calories to get this protein in, to help me sustain and gain muscle. If it's just going to make me way more fat in the long run. Um, Alan Thrall, who's going to be the next guest on the podcast, like I said, we kind of talked about tracing protein and how really set people can get on trying to hit that one gram of protein per pound of body weight, which is great. It's a great goal to have, but you don't always have to reach it every day. If it's between getting 150 grams of protein and 180 for me, but to get that extra 30 grams, I'm going to have to eat, oh, I don't know, a sandwich with meat that isn't very lean and something with cheese and something that's just going to provide a lot of extra calories for that 30 grams of protein, I'm just going to leave it because your body is very adaptable. Your body's going to hold on to muscle. We it's, it's better at that than they give it credit for. So don't think that this one gram of protein per pound of body weight is, you know, something you have to absolutely fight for tooth and nail and to the, to the detriment of going over what you should be eating calorie wise. Um, another thing I want to mention here is I've kind of changed over the last five years, my mindset on protein shakes too. Of course, most of us are going to be drinking protein shakes around and after our workout, but the biggest benefit to me for protein shakes or just protein powder in general, because a lot of times I'll be either mixing it like in my oatmeal or in my yogurt or something like that is it's such an easy way to add protein to your day, to your diet. 
I almost every single day put protein in my oatmeal for breakfast while having a few eggs. And that's again, because those eggs aren't the best as far as caloric budget wise, kind of like I just mentioned, like eggs have six grams of fat and six grams of protein. So they have a lot more calories from fat than they do from protein. Now they're a really good source of nutrients. So I'm not going to cut them completely out of my diet, but I'm not going to act like they're this lean source of protein. That's giving me a ton of bang for my buck. That's why I include the protein powder too. So I don't have to have six or seven eggs to get, you know, 40 grams of protein at the expense of four or 500 calories. I often tell clients a good strategy that I use is to have a protein shake around a low protein meal, like something that you might eat out. So you go to like a sandwich place for lunch, that's probably not going to give you tons of protein. Sometimes just having a protein shake before or after could help supplement your intake for the day. And it's not always how people think of using uh, protein powder, but it is such a great way to use it. Having a snack, again, like I mentioned of oatmeal and protein powder, yogurt and protein powder, um, having a shake, uh, again, at those, those days where you're out and about, or you're maybe on vacation and protein rich foods are less available, like an eight ounce chicken breast or whatever, that's going to get you a big bolus of protein. So think about strategically using powder in that way. And not just as that post-workout recovery drink, as it's um, been known to us for so long. The third thing here, the third step to recover, to get stronger and leaner is to control your calories. And I just talked about, of course, not going way over into a surplus, but what I want to talk about now in terms of calories is you don't want to be in a deficit for too long either. So really where you want to hang out is usually at about that maintenance level or even a little bit above. So for me, for the last couple of years, I've been eating on average close to 27 to 2,800 calories, which is about my maintenance. And I've been kind of in this phase of very slow, we'll call it like lean gaining or main gaining where you kind of maintain your body composition, but very slowly try to add muscle. And a lot of times I've probably even in a little bit of a calorie surplus, which I don't mind because I have typically in the past weighed about 180, 185 pounds. And I'm kind of slowly taking it up to kind of bringing my natural or homeostatic body weight up to about 190. Um, but that is just to say, it's very damaging to your metabolism to try to be in a calorie deficit for half the year, for three fourths of the year, for more than, like I said, I try to be in a calorie deficit for about one fourth of the year. And the good thing about that is you can lose fat a lot faster than you can gain muscle. So you can kind of hit that fat loss button, uh, be in that more extreme calorie deficit for a handful of months and lose the fat that you want to lose. And then kind of hit that maintenance slash small surplus again, because then you can more easily focus on gaining muscle over time. And what people don't realize, you know, fat loss is obviously so, obviously so popular. Everyone, almost everyone wants to lose fat, wants to get leaner, but for that leanness to matter more for you to look good naked, like we all want to obviously is one of the big goals of, of working out, of paying attention to our body composition. You want to have a good amount of muscle so that when you get lean, you have something to show off. That's why we look so much in terms of body fat percentage over weight on the scale with clients, because your body fat percentage, if you have a good amount of muscle mass that you gain through again, compound lifting and that constant progressive overload, you're going to look a lot better than someone who maybe just has that like skinny fat physique, as we've all kind of heard of before. So again, my rule of thumb is no more than a fourth of the year spent in a calorie deficit. You can get that fat loss that cut in very quickly. Um, usually with a lean bulk, I'm bulking and I'm in a calorie surplus, but it's only about 300 calories or so. So I said that my, my average might be around 2,700 to maintain. It might be about 3000 to gain. But if I'm trying to lose fat, I'm in a, a period of one to two to three months where I'm trying to lose fat and cut weight. I'm going to be closer to about 
starting around 2,100 or 2,000 calories. So a, a six or 700 calorie deficit, almost double as much as I would be planning to gain weight. And that is because your body is always going to prioritize burning fat rather than burning muscle. Um, there's still that harmful rumor that I think is just totally bro science that has been discredited by a lot of people, but also I think probably gets thrown around a lot. And that is that your body's going to catabolize and going to eat away at your muscle. If you, if you X, Y, or Z, if you don't eat for a certain period of time, if you, you know, if you lose weight too quickly, but that is by far and away, not going to be the case. I can say that in my own life, I put this to the test and it's definitely true. Muscle is a lot more sticky than fat. It's way more sticky than fat. That being said, I, I mentioned it's a lot harder to put on and that's true, but just keep in mind that you can lose fat at a lot faster rate than you can gain muscle. So when you're in that calorie deficit, your body's going to be mostly targeting um, the fat loss rather than tearing away your muscle. Inevitably in any bulk or cut, as I've talked about before, you're going to gain a little bit of fat when you're bulking and you're going to lose a little bit of uh, muscle when you're cutting. And that's why I wouldn't go as far as to say like, go a thousand or 1200 calorie deficit, because that's when it's so extreme that you're probably going to be losing more muscle, but you can pretty much uh, know that you're losing mostly fat. I would say 75 to 80%. If you're going to keep that, that deficit around six or 700 calories. And that's for me, a pretty big guy. Um, I guess that that percentage wise is about a 25% deficit. So if you're a woman, if you're a smaller guy, or if you're a bigger guy, even too, uh, you can try to put that in the context of your own caloric intake. Obviously, it's not a hard and fast rule as to how many it's, it's more of a hard and fast rule as to uh, what percentage of the calories you're decreasing. And again, that 300 calorie surplus is increasing my calories by about 10% in order to gain muscle. So if you're curious about that, um, as far as tracking macros, something I've mentioned recently on my Instagram, and I think in podcasts is that I really haven't been tracking macros very frequently recently. What I do instead is I eat three similar meals. My breakfast is almost the same every single day. Like I mentioned, I'm having oatmeal, protein powder in it. I'll usually throw some berries in there. Maybe I'll have a banana and I'm going to have some eggs. Um, and that's going to be my breakfast every day. And then I'm going to have two meals after that, that are probably going to be mostly based around carbs and protein. But if I have a higher fat meat, um, like if I have some 80, 20 beef or something like that, I'm going to include less carbs. Basically, I want to get 50 grams of protein in it every meal and then let the carbs and fats fall where they may to make the meal fall somewhere in the ballpark of 800 calories. That's going to leave me at 2,400 calories for the day. And then after that, I'm just focused on having one big protein shake with about 50 grams of protein. That way I'm getting close to 200 grams of protein for the day, uh, which is just a little bit over one gram, a pound, one gram per pound of body weight for me. And maybe a little snack here or there. Maybe it's just dessert. Maybe it's just a beer, something enjoyable, or maybe it's just a piece of fruit before or after my workout, because that sounds good. Or maybe I'm just saving up a little bit more calories for the weekend. So I'm just kind of cruising at that 2,400-ish to average for the week. So I can go closer to like the 33, 3,500 range for the weekend. Um, but it's just become so easy and intuitive for me because I've done this for so long. So that's not to say that you shouldn't track macros or should track macros. I definitely think everyone should track macros at least for a short period of time, if nothing else, to kind of understand what goes into certain foods and what the composition macronutrient wise of the food you're eating is. But once you build that awareness, it's going to become just more automatic. And another thing that's interesting is it's, it's, it's become more clear to me why meal plans in the past have been so so pushed in you know, bodybuilding circles or just fitness circles in general, because obviously a meal plan is kind of just like macros, eat these foods every single day. Okay. Well, you're coming down to a macronutrient profile right there. That's going to make you, you know, lose fat or gain muscle, whatever the goal is. So I look at my lifestyle almost as a combination of 
a somewhat strict meal plan and somewhat being aware of slash tracking macros. And it works really well for me. But again, that's because I've practiced it for so long. The fourth step here to recover, to get stronger and leaner is just don't overdo it. And the three things I want to mention here, sometimes you will need a deload if you're lifting like more than four times a week. I would say if consistently you're only lifting two or three times a week, you're probably never going to need a deload because you're going to be able to recover fast enough. Um, but if you're lifting four or five or more days a week, you're going to need a deload about every two to three months. And a deload just means either lifting 50% volume or 50% weight for a week just to let your body catch up on recovery. Another option is you can just take a week off. I do that sometimes when I'm going on vacation or whatever. Um, but the thing with that is it can, it can kind of make you get out of the routine. So that's the only negative part there. So many people just beat their bodies and beat their bodies and beat their bodies and have that work hard grind mentality, which is good sometimes. But if you are really not cut up in recovery, that's going to become a detriment over time. It's kind of like if you had a car and you were trying to run it and run it and run it without ever getting fuel, it's eventually going to break down. And it's not going to perform anymore. You have to think about your body in the same way. The two other things I'll say as far as not overdoing it too much is you want to use an RPE scale. And that is rate of perceived exertion. So you want to make sure you're only taking your lifts to about an eight or nine out of 10, but a deliberate eight and nine out of 10, uh, you don't want to be underdoing it frequently because that's probably what I see more often um, being common, but you don't want to take your every single lift to failure every time, or else that's not going to allow your body to grow either, because it's going to be in that stressed mode where you don't really necessarily have like a stimulus to grow. You just have a kind of like your body's freaking out and it's stressed because you've taken it so far. You can go to failure every once in a while, uh, but I don't do so more than maybe once a month. That's a lot more relevant on the heavy compound lifts too. Uh, when it comes to bicep curls, lateral raises, tricep stuff, calves, you can go to failure as much as you want because those are not near as stressful on the body. But when you're pressing, deadlifting, rowing, anything that requires a lot of muscle groups at once, be careful about going to failure very often. But also, like I said, the flip side of that is you don't want to just not do enough and, and go too easy on yourself. You kind of have to know your personality and know which one you're more geared towards shortchanging or overdoing it. Uh, the last thing here, you want to have a goal as far as sets per week. So every week you can do between 10 to 20 hard sets as you become an intermediate or advanced lifter per body part and be liberal with how you spread that apart. Because as I've talked about before, you kind of have to base it around what parts of your body you find are your strong points or your weak points. So for me, I do closer to 20 sets for my shoulders and back. I'm literally only doing five sometimes for my chest because my chest is already really advanced and I don't care as much about improving it. For your core, doing heavy deadlifts and squats is, is very core intensive. So I might only do five or six sets of core per week. So overall, you want to look at every body part and say, I can do max 20 sets. I guess I said 20 as a minimum. That's really not even true. I would say five sets as a minimum. If you really just want to maintain something, like I said, I can maintain my chest on five sets of chest per week. But if you want to improve things and you're an advanced or immediate lifter, you want to do closer to 20 sets per week. And you want to think about how that's broken up in terms of, again, not overdoing it. You can't do 20 sets on every single muscle and expect to gain muscle because you're just going to be overdoing it. You're going to be pushing it too hard. Um, what you can do is kind of switch over time. Okay. I'm putting more focus on my back. I'm really overloading that I'm doing less on my legs on these other body parts. And over time you can just focus on, okay, well, I want to bring up my legs too. And then I'm just doing maintenance on the back. I'm keeping that muscle that I gained from that kind of overdrive period. And I'm doing the same thing on my legs now, or I'm trying to kind of kick them into overdrive and gain muscle on them. So it's a fun game you kind of play over time. And this is again, a very advanced technique is something you don't have to worry about until you become uh, very intermediate or advanced lifter. But those are the type of things 
that we can do to continue to push the needle forward as long as we're paying attention to how we recover and how we are phasing these things in and out, just like we do with calories, with everything else. It's all seasons. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. If you would, please take a minute out of your day to review and rate the podcast as well as subscribe. It would really help me out a lot. And if you're on Instagram, go ahead and follow me on there at jakeparker.fit and screenshot and tag me when you're listening to the show. I'll be sure to share it and thank you personally on there.